All right, we've got a great episode of Side Retired today. Dylan and Nico, as always, and today we're going to be joined by legendary broadcaster Tom Brenneman. So, Nico, let's hit the intro music and we'll get right into this episode. Hello and welcome to this President's Day edition of Side Retired. It's Dylan and Nico as always. And Nico, before we introduce our guest, how are you doing today? Doing good. I mean, got the day off and it's always good to hear someone and interview someone that right when I hear their voice, I get chills because I instantly like remember hearing them from play baseball. Like when we had Paul Severino on, that was like my childhood. So having another guy that instantly when I hear his voice, I get taken back to like watching baseball as a kid and like as a teenager, it's it's always a good time. Absolutely. And today we're joined by the legendary Red broadcaster who's also with the Chicago Cubs and the Arizona Diamondbacks before that, Tom Brenneman. Mr. Brenneman, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, guys, my pleasure. And please don't call me Mr. Brenneman. I mean, I'm starting to show my age with gray hair, beard, whole thing. But uh, just call me Tom. Nice to be with you, Dylan and Nico. My pleasure. Absolutely. So I can hear in your voice the Joey Votto, Todd Frazier, Jay Bruce. It just comes into my mind as soon as I hear you saying those words. But um, absolutely, we're going to take our fans today through a journey of your baseball career, obviously. Your dad was also a famous broadcaster in Cincinnati. As we mentioned, you were the first radio voice of the Arizona Diamondbacks, spent a lot of time with the Cincinnati Reds, dabbled in a couple other sports as well. I believe you called some bowl games, some playoff games in the NFL, and then obviously you're doing some great stuff with Chatterbox right now. But I guess we can start from the beginning in that your dad was a legendary broadcaster. You probably grew up in a household where you knew about dad was going to work with baseball. And so at what point did you know you wanted to do that? And at what point did that become a reality? Well, you know, I mean, uh, growing up was just unbelievable. I mean, before my dad even got the the Cincinnati Reds job in 1974, and we moved from Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I was in the fifth grade, and he was doing the old ABA, the American Basketball Association for the Virginia Squires, and um, I had a chance to be the ball boy for the team. I was like 10 years old, something like that, and we had Julius Irving on the team. We had George Gervin on the team. Um but I was a ball boy primarily for the visiting team. And so I got to meet all, I mean, some of the biggest names, legends of all time in, in basketball. Uh, my dad was doing the Mets triple eight baseball team uh, there in Virginia beach. And, um, and then when he got the Reds job, you know, um, we walk in the clubhouse in 1974 down in Tampa, Florida. That's where the Reds used to train many, many years ago. And the first people I ever met, were, were Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, <laughs> Joe Morgan, and Tony Perez. And I mean, from you know, like that moment on, you're like, wow, this is a pretty cool setup here. And uh, I really didn't think I wanted to do it until once I got into college. And so once I got there, I had a chance to start working at a radio station, um, had a chance to broadcast some women's basketball, and, and then off it went from there. But not until I got into college did I think it's something that I wanted to do. Yeah. And how was kind of like that process of going and realizing that that's what you wanted to do to actually being able to like break into the big leagues. And for example, like you started with the Cubs, 
how was it like, you know, kind of finding your footing? Was it kind of a long journey? Was it just an opportunity opened? How was that process of breaking into the major leagues? Well, it was interesting because I, I, when I was hired out of college, I was not on the air. I was hired by the local NBC television affiliate um, in Cincinnati, where I was a weekend producer. And the guy that I worked with, we, we wound up being roommates uh, I mean, I don't care what anybody's political bet is, makes no difference to me. But a guy who's on Fox News now during the day, a guy named Bill Hemmer, uh, he and I were working together back in those days. And I mean, it's, it's it's hard to believe both of us wound up where we wound up. Of course, he's still employed. I'm not. But, um, but you know, um, I, I wasn't on the air and they there were so many just, you know, by grace of God, things that just did weird stuff that just happened. I we the guy was a weekend sports anchor. His best friend was our weatherman. They get in an argument one day. They wound up in a fist fight. They fired the weekend <laughs> sports anchor. They end up um, interviewing like five or seven different guys. One guy, strangely enough, I'll never forget this guy as long as I live, was a guy named Scott Clark. He was in D.C. for a long, long time. Uh, and was a weekend guy, and they were trying to bring him to Cincinnati. For one reason or another, none of the five or seven guys they interviewed um, wound up taking the job. And so our general manager, a guy named Tony Kiernan, this Bobby Knight-like New York tough, rough, gruff guy, you know, he calls me in his office. He says, all right. He said, you got six days to get ready. You better have your ass up there practicing all the time. <laughs> and so that's what happened. And um, wound up being the weekend sports anchor. Back in those days for your generation, it's it's hard to believe that this is true, but it's very true, except for the Cubs and the, and the Atlanta Braves and the New York Mets. Most major league teams only broadcast back then about 50 games a year on television in your local market. Now, of course, every game's on. But back in those days, I worked for the channel that did the Reds games. Well, the two guys that were doing the Reds were Johnny Bench and Jay Randolph, who was this legendary announcer for NBC with golf and all kinds of things. And um, and each one of them was going to miss probably eight or ten games during the season. So I got a chance about my third year at the station to do some Reds games. I did all of them the following year. And then the, the the biggest break of all, I you know, I didn't tell anybody in the world I was sending a resume tape to the Cubs for WGN in Chicago. Thought I'd have no chance to get that job. I was 25 years old. Um, and uh turns out that my age was was a plus. They wanted somebody that, you know, good Lord willing, you stay healthy, do a good job, you'd be there for 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, and I wound up getting that job. And then everything else from that job was just, you know sort of the cherry on top of the Sunday. So it wasn't a long journey at all. I mean, there are a lot of guys that are, you know, going through the minor leagues for many, many years. And I have such incredible respect for those guys because my, my path and journey was, was very different than theirs. Absolutely. And then one of the other cool experiences that you had that after a couple of seasons with the Cubs, there was this new expansion team named the Arizona yeah. Diamondbacks. And all of a sudden you're the first official voice of the team. So what was that experience like? And obviously being around the team that was really getting started for the first time. Well, it was really weird because what had happened was while I was with the Cubs, along came Fox. And um, again, for, for younger people, it's hard to imagine television in general, especially television sports, uh, with no Fox. Um, I remember I got a call from my agent and he said, hey, the people at Fox want to talk to you. Well, I mean, Fox could have been dog. It could have been cat. <laughs> it could have been anything. Aardvark. Nobody had ever heard of Fox. 
And I said to him on the phone, I remember saying, Alan, what are you talking about? What is Fox? <laughs> so they like, they're getting ready to get the rights to the National Football League from CBS. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. So um, I wound up getting hired there um, in 1994, the first year they started. And so I was, the, the following year, I was in my sixth year with the Cubs and they didn't want me to do the, the Fox stuff anymore. And I was young, I was single. Um, you know, I didn't have the responsibility of a wife and young children at home and all that kind of thing. So I could really kind of roll the dice. I already had one good job with Fox. So I just told the Cubs, you know, if that's the way you want it to be, then, you know, let's just shake hands and say, this has been great, but it's time to move on. And then within about a month and a half, um, I get a phone call from a guy who I'd met the prior year in spring training uh, from the Diamondbacks and said, hey, could you fly out here next week? Because our owner would like to talk to you about, you know, what we're going to do. They were still two and a half years away from playing. So when I went out there for to, to, to talk to Jerry Colangelo's in the National Basketball Hall of Fame and legendary owner uh, and former general manager with the Suns, um, he also owned the Diamondbacks. And when I went out there to talk with him, I, I just thought I was going out there to talk with him about, you know, flip-flopping announcers between radio and TV, um, you know, radio affiliates and all these different kinds of things, business side of it, really. Uh, and by that night, I went to work for him. I remember I called my mom from Phoenix, and I, I'm just like, you know, you're not going to believe this, but I'm getting ready <laughs> to move and go to work in Phoenix, Arizona. She said, for what? I said, the baseball team. She said, they don't have a baseball team. I said, I know they don't have a baseball team. They're going to have one in three years from now. So uh, it was awesome. I mean, th those years were unbelievable years with a startup franchise. And and one of those years, we wound up winning a World Series. And uh, my broadcast partner was the manager. He left the booth to become the manager, Bob Brenly. So there were a lot, a lot of great memories out there. I met my wife there. Our kids were born there. It was, um, it was cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, you touched on it a little, but... If you had to pick, I know you stick with baseball, but what was the difference between, you know, calling football games, some bowl games and like doing a baseball play by play? Well, you know, the, the baseball is an everyday thing. And I did a lot of postseason games for Fox. I think I did um, maybe 11 or 12 different league championship series. And those were always incredibly exciting, um, especially a couple of those years where the Astros were playing the Cardinals. And then, of course, you know, the Cubs in 2003 in the league championship series NFL I did for 25 years. I mean, it's an event. The NFL is an event. It's once a week. Um, the following is just, it's mind boggling compared to the other sports. It, it, there really is no comparison. And then I had a chance to call three um, college football national championship games. And, and, and that's a whole different world because, you know, I mean, you're talking now for the championship. And it was really cool because I grew up in Ohio. I'm a big Ohio State fan. Two of those years, I got to broadcast to Ohio State. They lost both the games, but it was fun to be around it. And, um, you know, I it, it, people have asked me, you know, which one you like doing better. Um, I, I, it, I think it just all depends on on when you're doing it. You know, there, there are some days where you're thinking there's nothing better in the world than doing this Major League Baseball game. And there's not. Uh, but then, you know, you might fast forward four months and you're doing a – um, uh, Ravens against the the back when Drew Brees was playing, say, one of the games I did when Ravens had a really good team and Drew Brees was playing for the Saints and you get the Saints playing the Ravens, sellout crowd, it's insane, it's great. I mean, they're both great sports for sure. Absolutely, and then you did just mention you've called some legendary games, including that 2003 Cubs run 
you were there for the Steve Bartman incident. So I yeah. have to ask gut reaction. You were obviously on air. So we got to hear all your thoughts in the moment. But as soon as that happens, what are you thinking? What's happening in the stadium? Just describe that whole atmosphere. Well, you know, it was it was um, you, you got to remember, as I had said earlier, I had been the announcer for the Cubs. Um, uh, what was it? Seven years before uh, for six seasons. And so I, I really understood, I think, the whole sort of mindset of the Cub fan, which was, you know, the lovable losers. They had not won a World Series since 1908. They had not been to one since 1945. You know, they had three games to one game fives in Miami. Uh, and Josh Beckett uh, pitches a complete game, beats him to send it back to Chicago. Well, that's what everybody wanted. They wanted the Cubs to go there and win it at Wrigley Field. So we get there that night for game six. And um, I, I had never seen anything like it in my life. There were there were there were double the amount, triple the amount of quadruple the amount of people outside the stadium as there were inside the stadium. There were hundreds of thousands of people. There were were, were police on horseback. Um, the, 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 the crowd was, it was indescribable sitting up there at the very top of Wrigley where the booth is and looking down and you can see the streets surrounding the ballpark. Um, it was unreal. And then all of a sudden, you know, they open up this lead, you get to the eighth, um, and you know, the ball's hit down a left field line and Alou goes over there. Well, soon as Moises Alou sort of reacts like he would have caught the ball, I'm still convinced to this day he was not going to catch the ball. Like, Cup fans would argue that, that that's fine. Nobody knows, so who cares? But, you know, his reaction to it immediately brought a, a sense of, ooh, you know, I th 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 this, you know, you hope this is kind of okay. And then we're sitting there in the booth, and it was uh, Steve Lyons and Al Leiter and me. We were doing the game, a three-man booth. And we could see off the air things that were going on in the stands with Bartman and people starting to throw things at him and people trying to pelt him with, with all kinds of different stuff and throwing beer on him. And now we can see the security coming down and walking him through. And, and we, you know, kind of – I, I remember hitting the talk back to our producer, Jeff Gowan, and, and our director, Jim Lynch. And I'm like, guys, this is not good. This is not good at all. Um, this is really bad. And so, you know, um, you're just sitting there watching it and you're like, this is just such a shame. And, and then, you know, the, the two batters later, whatever it was, should have been a routine ground ball to short double play would have ended the inning, goes through the shortstop legs uh, the Marlins score eight runs and the rest is history. They win that game. They win the next night. They win the World Series. And it, I remember getting up the next morning and uh, and I rarely ever turn on the television when I, when I stay in hotels for whatever reason. But I turn it on. I got up really early, like six o'clock, five thirty something. And the first thing I turn on, there's a shot of a helicopter flying above, you know, and I, I just assumed it was traffic um, for a local news channel. Well, within 20 seconds, uh, you found out that it was the uh, a helicopter was flying above the place where Steve Bartman worked. And you're just like, man, how did this happen? It was just brutal. Uh, you know, the, the, the people, the way they treated that guy, it was just uh, nobody loved the Cubs more than that guy. Uh, and it was just a shame the whole thing happened. But it it, it was it was. Um, 
I'm glad I was there for it. And then there's a part of me that wishes I wasn't uh, because everything that happened should never have happened. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little biased. I'm a Marlins fan. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't think he was catching that ball, but I think that like just everything that transpired, like from my perspective of being the Marlins fan, like having a framed picture of like all the Marlins from that world series on my wall. Yeah. It almost seems like it's two separate incidents and like, especially like Marlins fans perspectives. It's like the whole world series run. And then it's just that one incident almost seems like it's like out of time of like that yeah. series run. It seems like it's just two completely separate entities. Like I have no clue how like it would have reacted if it was the other way around. I personally don't think that ball could have gotten caught. But again, if I'm a Met, if I'm a Cubs fan and I just have a hundred years where we haven't won anything and it seems like everything fell apart from like that one scenario. Yeah. Like I, if I was, if that happened to me, I would be feeling the exact same way. Cause baseball. Yeah, it was, it was just unbelievable. It really was. You're, you're spot on on that spot on. Absolutely. And I know one of the things that we always love to talk about with minor leaguers that get the phone call and making to the major leagues is do they remember that legendary phone call that they have forever? So sort of in a similar ilk, you've spent these years with Fox, you've spent these years with the Cubs and the Diamondbacks. All of a sudden you get that phone call that you're coming back home to Cincinnati. You're going to get to broadcast where your dad is as well. What was that moment like for you? And sort of a, what was that realization of I'm coming back to Cincinnati? You know, that whole thing was a it was really a uh, a very um, uh, sort of gut wrenching experience because because there had been a couple of teams the prior years that had called uh, about me possibly coming to work uh, in, in their for their teams had called the Diamondbacks. And our our owner would call us, call me in and he'd say, hey, what do you think about this? And I had said to him the year before, I'd said, look, I'm never leaving Arizona. My wife's born and raised here. Uh, you know, we met here with the team. We got married here. Our kids are born here. They're baptized here. I love the franchise, love the town, love where we're living. I'm like, so you know what? I said, if anybody ever calls again, I said, just, just tell them, uh, you know, no, it's not happening. And so the next year comes around and we're in um, – maybe the first week of August, something like that. Um, and we were flying, I re recall vividly, we were flying from Denver after a day game and going to San Diego. And this was right when cell phones first came out. And um, and uh, our owner called me and said, hey, um, I'm coming over to San Diego. I know you guys are off tomorrow. He said, uh, could you meet me for breakfast tomorrow morning? I'm like, yeah. I said, right in the hotel? He said, yeah. I said, okay. I said, everything okay? He's like, yeah, everything's good. I'm like, all right, okay. So, you know, I um, I go to meet him and he says to me, look, I remember you telling me about, you know, other teams and that kind of thing. He said, but look, this one's a little bit different. And I feel like I owe it to it to, to, to tell you about it. He said, you know, the Reds call. And, um, you know, immediately get your attention. And so, you know, very long story short, um, I, I told him, I said, look, I said, I'd like to at least hear what they have to say, but the chances are that, that this is not going to happen. He said, okay, here's a deal. He said, I'm going to give you, he said, the team is going next week to uh, DC. He said, and the team is off on a Thursday and we'll play Friday night against the Nationals. I said, okay. He said, I'll give you Wednesday off from our home game. You can leave Tuesday night and Friday you're back in the, uh, in the booth with us. I said, great. Um, so my wife and I flew back to Cincinnati and, um, you know, we sat down with the Reds and talked to them and, 
And the next thing we know, you know, it just snowballed into, you know, this, this is something that, that, that was attractive. Uh, but boy, I mean, my wife and I, I mean, we went back and forth on this thing so many times. And while it was an incredible uh, opportunity, I just didn't think I was going to do it. And, um, you know, then you start thinking about things like, you know, my dad was still pretty young. What was that, about 18 years ago? Yeah, so he'd have been like in his early 60s, something like that. And he was still going strong. And, you know, and, and so it wound up happening. And, um, you know, from a personal standpoint, without a doubt, the best move I could have ever made. This is an incredible town for kids to grow up in. And, you know, our kids went to great public school um, here in the suburbs of Cincinnati and athletics and, you know, academics and all that kind of thing. And they're both off in college now. Professionally, you know, if I were to do it all over again, and I don't normally like to play that game, but when you get to be my age a little bit, you do start playing that game. I don't know if professionally it was the smartest move in the world, but personally outweighs everything. So it was without a doubt um, where God wanted us to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it's God's plan, yeah. like that's exactly what he got to do. Um, obviously, we're able, you had the opportunity to call games like your dad was on radio, you were on television. And to be honest, I know that they haven't, you know, had much playoff success, but the Reds in like your tenure had a lot of very interesting players. I know Joey Votto, obviously, going to yeah. be first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, Johnny Cueto, I mean, I grew up twisting myself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Brandon yeah. Phillips made me at second base think that as a nine-year-old, I could for some reason do between the leg glove flips. I mean, you had a lot of like cast of characters. What was it like during that 10 year? I mean, I mean, more guys are going to my head, Bronson Arroyo, yeah. making a right angle. Like you had a lot of interesting teams and a lot of interesting guys. What was that 10 year when you were with the Reds, like calling those games? You know, it's funny you bring up the last name you just brought up because it, it may be my all-time favorite baseball player as a guy. And for that matter, just on the mound. I mean, look, I and when I was announcing the Diamondbacks games, we had Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. I mean, a couple of the greatest pitchers of all time, and they were the best duo for about a five-year run of all time. And they, it, it was it was incredible watching those guys pitch. Uh, they were just so great, so great. I mean, you watch this stuff now, it's just like, come on. I mean, you know, I, I watch the playoffs now, and I mean, we were in the World Series in 2001. Schilling and Johnson during the regular season, I think it pitched like 280 innings during the regular season each. Then we go through the Division Series, League Championship Series, World Series. Schilling starts game one, game three, game seven. And Johnson starts game two, game six, pitches in relief, game seven. I mean, you know, I mean, guys, now it's five innings and out the door. Um, but that's a different time and a different conversation. But Arroyo was, um, I, man, that dude, he was just an amazing guy to watch. Native Floridian uh, for you, Nico. I mean, you know, he's he, he is just such a cool guy. And, you know, he didn't throw very hard at all. Uh, but his arsenal and his savvy and the way he he, he pitched – I, I just loved watching Arroyo. People would always ask me, you know, would you pay to watch somebody? And they were expecting me to say back in those days, Votto or Jay Bruce or Frazier or Phillips or or with other teams, you know, whoever it might be. And I would always say, man, the guy that I would pay to go watch is Arroyo. Uh, he was really fun. We had great players. Um, you know, Votto obviously was a, an institution here, uh, without a doubt. Phillips. 
uh, was such a tough guy. I mean, just just total gamer, just played a hurt, bat him anywhere in the lineup. He'd do anything you asked him to do uh, with a smile on his face. Um, you know, Frazier was just such a huge personality, New York, loud, you know, obnoxious, but cool dude. <laughs> and uh, Cueto was phenomenal. I mean, he, he was so good. It was such a shame. I think the Reds would have won the World Series in 2012 had he not gotten hurt in game one of the National League Division Series against the Giants. He was the best pitcher in baseball on the best team in the National League that year. And uh, it was just a shame he got hurt. And um, they end up getting beat. So, you know, we didn't have very many good teams the years I was here, um, but we saw a lot of very, very good players. That's for sure. I think the similar thing of that, I know when I'm a New York Mets fan, we've had one no-hitter in our 60 years of existence. Yeah. You seem to be Mr. No-Hitter. You got a bunch from Homer Bailey. You got the yeah. Randy Johnson perfect game. It seems like yeah. the Reds have become a pitching factory, and you got to experience a lot of that during your time. With well, them. it was really cool. I mean, the whole, like I said, the whole Arizona thing was just, I mean, it, it, there there are just not guys now. And, and there's literally not one. Dylan, I mean, there's not one guy in the major leagues today that every time they go to the mound, you always have in the back of your mind, there's a chance they could throw a no-hitter. Yeah. Well, we had two of them, pitching <laughs> back-to-back every single five days, back-to-back. If you go back and, you know, for baseball fans out there, go back and look at the game pitching logs of Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling in – 2000 uh, or 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, especially 2001 and 2002, because they both got hurt in 03. But 01, 02, from the very first game of the season, these guys are pitching eight, nine innings, and every game the entire season is seven or more for virtually every single start. And I mean, the strikeouts are 11. 12, 14, 17, 19, 20. It, 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 you know, they just don't let guys pitch like that anymore. And I think it, that that more than anything else is what I really, really miss about baseball. And I'm not like the old guy, you know, get off my lawn. I mean, they're great players now and all that kind of thing. But but the dominant, dominant starting pitcher is is so very much missing today. And when I say dominant, I don't mean stuff dominant. I mean stuff and durability dominant. And there's just none of that going on anymore. Absolutely. I think the two names, Clayton Kershaw and Jacob deGrom, dominant pitchers when they're on the mound, but they're five and die. If they throw 140 innings in a year yeah. and they call it a day, and that's sort of Randy Johnson would throw 240 innings. You're like, yep, I'm good to go tomorrow. Yeah, and good to go. Ready to roll. Yep. <laughs> No, absolutely. And then sort of another one of those questions, obviously, unfortunately, do have to bring it up. Obviously, the end of your Reds tenure, um, one of the legendary guys with the Cincinnati Reds. I know that call is one of the more famous calls in Major League Baseball right now, how it ended. The line in there, and I know everyone talks about and jokes about the Nick Castellanos line, but the line that gets me is the, I don't know if I'm ever going to put this headset on again. Was that the genuine feeling and sort of what was that whole moment like of finding out oh this is happening this is a real life issue and um you know getting through that moment and obviously now you're still successfully still a broadcaster with chatterbox all these years later well i've never gotten a job again and I, that, that we're closing in now on four full years that have gone by since that happened 
That was in August of 2020. This will be the fourth consecutive baseball season, full season, where I have not had a job. And 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 that includes football or anything else. Uh, hopefully, you know, there's somebody out there that will give me a chance to do that again. Um, good Lord will. We'll see. Uh, but, you know, we were doing... Um, we were doing, uh, this was during COVID, uh, and we were not traveling with the team. So we were broadcasting all of the road games on radio. I mean, from a studio in downtown Cincinnati. And so we were doing it off the monitor, and we're sitting in there, and and um, and I, you know, had made this flippant comment, and 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 it was all just sort of locker room talk and 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 it's bad locker room talk i mean there's nothing good about it at all uh it was 1000% wrong uh but i can i can look in the mirror every single night and people um would choose some not to believe this and they have reason not to believe it i don't have a homophobic drop of blood in my body there is not a homophobic bone in my body but i use a term that is a homophobic slur I did it, and I live with it every single day, and my family's had to live with it uh, every single day. Um, I said it during a commercial break. Um, it was a doubleheader, and during the in-between games, so this happened, um, and then in between games, uh, I go back to start writing down the lineup card in a little cubicle office outside of the studio, uh, and my boss sends me this clip it did not go out over the air in Cincinnati or the people that watch the Reds games. It had gone out somehow, some way, and who cares? It went out uh, on MLB TV. And um, he wrote me a, a text and he sent me the video. He said, man, this is not good. And, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm by myself in this room and I'm thinking, yeah, this is definitely not good. Uh, it's not good what I said. And and now it's not going to be good moving forward. So I walked back in to start the second game. And now the whole social media thing, here it goes. Um, and, um, and I'm sitting there and I'm in a commercial break. The bosses from Fox, Ohio say, listen, we're, we're, we're pulling you off the air. And I said, well, look, I said, you're not going to pull me off the air until I have a chance to apologize. So I'm sitting there and I am trying, I mean, I, I know that I have said something that is so hurtful, so out of line, so wrong. I also know at the same time, selfishly, that this whole career of mine, which has been like one long, beautiful magic carpet ride, seriously has a chance to come to an end here. Um, and I am doing my best on live television to apologize and doing the very best I can. While you're sitting there on live TV, you've got all these things going through your mind. Then Nick Castellanos hits a home run. Well, I sort of just immediately snap back into what I've been doing for 31 years, and I call it a home run. And that thing is, is you know, turned into – you know, just this whole monster in and of itself. It, it, you know, people want to laugh about it and joke about it. You know, they, people are going to do what they want to do, and that's fine uh, because I'm the one that said it, and so, you know, I earned it. But, you know, I, I really wish sometimes that people would try to, even if I hurt people, and I know I hurt a lot of people, and I've done, 
I, I've tried to do everything I could in, in hearing stories and sitting down with people in the LGBTQ community to, to really understand fully what that word has meant to so many of them through the years. Um, but, you know, I, I and, and, and so, like I said, I, I've tried to do everything I can to right my wrong. And, and, and that's all you can do is the best you can do. But when, you know, the, the mean thing, you know, um, I just wish people sometimes, and they can be mad at me and they can dislike me for what I said, and that's fine. But, you know, I always tried to live by the, the, you know, the, the, the sort of thinking to try to walk in another person's shoes. So every time that thing shows up, right? Uh, yeah. It's, oh man, isn't that funny? Oh man. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it, 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 I know it's not funny for Nick Castellanos. He and I have talked about this on a number of occasions since all that happened. And, and that's all people seem to talk about with his career. This guy has worked his tail off to have a great career. And there are people that are only going to know Nick Castellanos for what I said in an apology. And, and then the other part of it is, and, and, and look, I'm not asking anybody to feel sorry for me in any form or fashion. There's no reason to be. I don't feel sorry for me. But um, you know, that was the end of a person's career there, or at least it has been for four years. Um, and that person is sitting there trying to apologize from a terrible mistake. And when I read where people say, oh, you know, can never forgive. I always say to them, I always say to them, I said, look, you don't want to forgive me. No problem. Okay. You're not going to lose any sleep over it. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. But what I do hope and pray happens is if there ever comes a day in your life, whoever this person may be, if there ever comes a day in your life where you make a mistake that you need forgiveness from somebody that you love or somebody in your family or somebody that you hurt, I, I hope and pray that they will forgive you. And, you know, we'll see where it all goes. Um you know, my kids were the one, they were both high school athletes at the time, and, and our son especially, so a very highly decorated lacrosse goalie uh, in Ohio. And, um, and you know, they had to listen to this stuff during games. And, um, you know, I, I, they, they, they had, it, it was rough. And, um, but you come out on the other side, you trust God's plan and you hope that uh, that there is some grace and forgiveness out there. And uh, and I believe in most circles there probably there is. Absolutely. I know it's telling a lot that you're like, no, I need to say this apology on air. And I think that's the part that a lot of people aren't talking about. And that's in the moment you could have clearly said, all right, I'm out. I'm done. We're not going to mention anything. We're going to go off the air. <laughs> but the fact that you're like, no, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to talk about it. And I think that's a good thing for people to see. And I think so far, at least in this conversation, you're a great guy. And fingers crossed that role does come in the future, whether it's with MLB, NFL, or something like that. But I think it goes along the lines of amazing people one times have that one slip up. And I'm of the belief of hopefully that one slip up isn't the defining moment of someone's career and isn't the defining moment of someone's life. And definitely rooting and fingers crossed that you do get that second opportunity because you've built a hell of a career and Really hope it's continuing at some point soon. Well, that's very kind of you, Dylan. I very much appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And just adding on to that, like, again, we live in like an era where especially where guys like you and guys who are live on put like on this like microscope where 
you know, you can't, you gotta be perfect because if not, it look, like in your case, you get made into a meme, you get made into like a story where again, people think that because their lives aren't under a microscope that they can get away with anything scot-free. And they think that because guys like you, even athletes, broadcasters, celebrities, they make one mistake and it instantly just defines them as a person where again, like how Dylan was saying, like you've talked a lot on this, this, like you're a Christian, you're, you're a Lord loving person. Like I've experienced that. But again, me, I'm in a completely different situation. I don't, I get the opportunity to not have a lot of my mistakes broadcast in front of thousands of people. And I think that they don't understand that. Like how you said, they have never walked a mile in your shoes. They don't understand that at the same you put your pants on one leg at a time, just like everyone else. And that you're so much more than just a 20 second clip that people are just going to know for the rest of your life. And it sucks because it's just the world that we live in. Yeah, it is. And, 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 you know, um, you know, I, if that's what people want to do, you know, there's nothing I can do. And that, that's one of the hard things is, is, um, is, is just not reacting to it much anymore. You know, it gets to a point in time where, you know, these people who are on Twitter X, whatever it is now, you know, where, where, I remember I just sent just a few days ago, I had sent out, I had seen this, it was just a couple of days ago, um, where um, the Ohio State beat Purdue, it was yesterday, uh, in basketball, uh, or two days ago, whatever it was, and the coach at Ohio State is an interim head coach, and, you know, here they were playing the number two ranked team in the country, it's been an underachieving team for Ohio State, this young man is named the interim uh, all the names about bigger names around the country coming to Ohio State are swirling around out there. Well, his team plays great, and they beat Purdue. And after the game, there were there was video of him so overwhelmed that he, he goes down on his knees, and he sang a prayer right there in the middle of the court. And when he lifts his head up, there's his wife and his little daughter. And all I commented was on this, whoever posted that, I just said, you know, this is really cool to see. This is really amazing. It wasn't four people in and somebody pops up. No, this is what's amazing. And it was a video of me saying what I said. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, I feel bad for the dude. I really do. I mean, if that's if that's what you're doing, um, I hope you find something else that's more important to do. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And then we do have some fun news here at the end. Obviously, you mentioned that you don't have an MLB broadcasting career as of right now with the team, but you do have a cool opportunity. You've been with Chatterbox Sports hosting off the bench. If you want to tell our listeners where they can find you, what that experience has been like, and what's it been like to be still involved in the Cincinnati sports world over the last few years. Well, that's great. You know, we 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 were a very small little company. It's a streaming show. So we're on YouTube, uh, Chatterbox Sports, uh, once you go to YouTube. And, you know, we we uh, became very well known here in, in greater Cincinnati where high school football is just insanity here over high school football in the whole state of Ohio. And so we started many years ago broadcasting high school football games. Then it led to two games and it led to eight games and it led to 11 games. And so now this company is is branching out and starting to do more content. So for the last year and a half, I've done Monday through Friday from 10 till 12 Eastern time, 10 in the morning till noon, a two hour talk show that that basically was was primarily a lot of local focused stuff, Bengals, Reds, whatever it might be, Cincinnati basketball, Xavier basketball. Um, and now um 
you know, and we also have a, a big national element to it because of, of just really a lot of the people that I've known and worked with for a long time, like Brian Billick, former Ravens Super Bowl winning head coach. He comes on every week to talk about the NFL. But now we're moving. I'm moving mine into what's called dialed in with Tom Brenneman. It'll still be on Chatterbox and you can you can watch it there. Uh, it's also on the Believe Network, B-L-E-A-V. And um, and so it's going to be two days a week where on a Monday, I sort of get into a lot of things that happened over the weekend, whatever it might be. And then on Thursday, we have, or on Friday, forgive me, we have um, a big interview. So like, um, you know, um, this week or last week, we had Chip Carey. We're starting our baseball coverage. So we had Chip Carey. This week, we're going to have Chris Myers from Fox on. Talk about the Daytona 500. Talk about the NFL and all those kinds of things. Plus, he's just such a funny dude. He's got a great career. And uh, so those are the kinds of things we're doing. We've had Troy Aikman on the past, Bob Costas. We've had, you know, Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and a bunch of really good guys. And um, hopefully that'll continue and we'll see where it goes. I love it. I can't wait. I'm looking forward Thank to you. it. Thank you. Well, absolutely. Well, I know we've held, we've held you over the 20 to 30 minutes. That's I okay. apologize <laughs> for the time, right. but... This is my wife's out of town. It's me and the dog. I got nothing else <laughs> going on. We're just hanging out. And he as long as the dog's not so barking, much. we're good. <laughs> as long as he's not telling you that it's time up, we're, we're good. Oh, believe me, he wakes me up and tells me it's time to go outside. It's time to <laughs> eat in the whole nine yards. So we had a good long run today, though. So I think he's a little bit beat. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, we always wrap up our interviews by one last question. It's sort of an appreciation for all of our all of our different guests that we have on the podcast, we let them dictate a little bit of where the show goes in the future. And if you'd like to shout someone out from your journey that you think could be a cool next person to have on the show. It's always the question that stumps you. Know who I, you, know who I think would be, you know who I think would be really, really good? Um, and his name doesn't get brought up much anymore. He was a big TV star in baseball. He had a long playing career with Steve Lyons. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he... He um, he's run into kind of the same the similar kind of situation that I'm in, but for for different reasons. I mean, this guy back in the nineteen mid nineties, uh, and then all the way till about two thousand, and he got fired when we were in the middle of doing a league championship series in two thousand and six for something he should never have been fired for. I earned getting fired from what I said. What this guy said, he did not earn getting fired for. He's got a phenomenal personality. I'll be happy to share his number with you guys um, um, uh, once we were finished up. Um, and, you know, he ended up doing what? Um, probably seven or eight league championship series for Fox. Uh, he's worked for the Red Sox, his playing career. Um, you know, he's a former number one draft pick that never really lived up to all of that, but, but he just busted his tail and gave you everything he's got, uh, played every position on the diamond. One of the few players to ever have done that. Um, I think he would be an excellent guest for your show. I love it. I can't wait. Well, I've had a blast being to talk to you. So I'm sure anyone you'd suggest for us is going to be a blast as well. And really appreciate all the time you gave us this afternoon, this evening. Fellas, thanks. Really nice getting to talk to you. And good luck at Georgetown, the Hoyas. Ed <laughs> Coley, trying yes. to get him going. 
Absolutely. I know you've been covering a little college basketball. It hasn't been going great for us so far yeah. this year, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> fingers well, crossed things get turned around. That's right. That's right. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All the best of luck to you in the upcoming baseball season too. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You so much. All right, guys. Awesome. So for Dylan, Nico, and Tom, until the next time, the side is retired.